and welcome to another episode of the AudaciousNet podcast with me, Maribel Ortea. And me, Helen Strong. In this podcast, we showcase individuals who have set themselves bold and audacious goals or who do the audacious work that the world needs with the aim of inspiring others to also set themselves audacious goals and do the audacious work to create a positive movement in the world. It's important to highlight that even regular people like you and me can have audacious goals and that role models are in fact all around us. Each and every one of us can have an impact in some way. Thank you for listening. We're delighted to have you with us. So Helen, tell us about the guests we're going to hear from today. Yeah, we're going to hear from Judy Boyle. And I first met Judy um, a little over 10 years ago at an English teachers conference in Istanbul, where mm. she, was, she was speaking about the, this global anti-slavery awareness campaign she runs, which is called the No Project, and how teachers can bring the topic into English lessons. And I remember meeting her there. And a few years later, I even invited her to speak at a conference, which I was organizing myself in, in Munich um, a while later. And we've been in touch all this time. Her work has, in fact, had quite an effect on me because it's raised my awareness about the extent that human trafficking and everything that's involved in that, you know, slave labor and domestic servitude and sexual exploitation and so on is going on around the world and it has affected many aspects of my life and one of them is actually my purchase decisions which we're going to hear about in the interview. Okay so we'll listen now to the interview with Judy Boyle now and then come back in half an hour to talk about what we learned. So here's Judy Boyle. I hope you enjoy the interview. Judy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on our Audaciousness podcast. Oh, it's a, it's a privilege. <laughs> thank you. I wonder, I wonder if we could begin, if you just tell us um, a little bit about yourself and about the project that you're involved in. Absolutely. Um, as we were just saying before, I'm originally from New Zealand, uh, which is where I grew up and was raised and so on. Um, And at a fairly young age, I left for the UK and uh, was involved in political street theatre there, as a matter of fact, where I probably got arrested <laughs> <laughs> for doing um, children's street theatre. Yes, and there was a message. There was a message of lack of inclusivity and diversity. And it was about, I can't believe I'm actually talking about this right now. But I, but when I look back, there's a pattern of activism all the way through what I've ever done. Mm -hmm. um, way back in New Zealand, it was uh, anti-apartheid um, performance okay. and marching. We're going. You know, this has given me away, given my age away. Not that I really care, but uh, yeah. I mean, all the way through, the theatre had to be for a purpose. The everything had to be for some reason. Mm -hmm. joyous and entertaining perhaps and I, I was looking at the list of questions that you sent through you know just as a guideline for where we might talk about things and one of them was about um, not so much role models but people who had influenced what you've done yeah. and I realized that um, one of my professors when I was working on a master's program who was the co-founder of Sesame Street is one of my biggest influences. And really? the thing with Sesame Street in the 1960s, it was groundbreaking. Uh -huh. And we, we actually saw videos of, you know, which were at the time black and white of the research that went on. But one of the, the key aspects of Sesame Street was to, how to address really important, challenging, life-threatening issues Uh, but in a way that was joyous, I don't want to say entertaining, but palatable, mm -hmm. manageable, um, digestible, not scary. I mean, you know, the idea of a green puppet and a blue puppet being friends could do with that a bit more these days, couldn't we? And I was thinking that that, that uh, 
it's always been there. I mean, this was many years ago that I was involved in this, you know, with, uh, was in 1990s <laughs> when I was doing, you know, graduate work and doctoral work and so on. But uh, 30 years ago, that oh. I always remember that. Yeah. Could you tell us then a little bit about the No Project and how long you've been involved in that and what your involvement is in it? The No Project itself has existed for about 10 years. And it is a global anti-slavery educational campaign that specifically targets awareness and understanding of the crime through the arts, through music, dance, hip hop, um, theater, poetry, spoken word poetry, um, but also through more traditional formats of seminars, multimedia seminars, film, and education. But in terms of my own uh, involvement in anti-slavery or anti-human trafficking actions, they started over 20 years ago. I happened to read a newspaper article. And actually a lot of people in the anti-slavery world and anti-trafficking world just by chance came across a newspaper article. I've, it's, it's quite, and so, you know, kudos to, you know, paying homage to journalism mm. <laughs> and how we spread the word, yeah. whether it be digitally or podcasts or written word, it does make a difference. And I, um, I'll never forget it. Actually, it was, I remember, I think it was December the 27th. So not too long, you know, 20 years ago, I read a newspaper article and I, I don't usually talk about this, but um, it, it included information about a young woman who was barely 18, I think, and she took her own life. She hanged herself in a toilet in a foreign country using her own stockings. And that image pretty much changed the course of my life, that you know, so, you know, with respect to her. Um, I, and so what I thought is, how do you, how does one, how did she, how did she hang herself in a toilet? Which I, I figured that it was probably one of those really old buildings where the system sort of pipe thing is right at the very top of the, do you know what I mean? Those mm -hmm. old buildings and there's a pipe going out the wall. Mm -hmm. um, so if she was in a building that old that had that kind of plumbing, it um, possibly was pretty run down, maybe a bit grungy. She had been trafficked to another country, recruited and possibly groomed, recruited and trafficked to another country for commercial sexual exploitation. Mm. Um, and so do, do you remember how that made you feel at, at the time? Yes. I remember it was winter and the word shock doesn't really even enter into it. It made me feel profoundly unaware. No, not even unaware. I'm searching for words. Um, privileged, lucky. You know, there was me that night. I didn't sleep that night, but with, you know, the comforter and the warmth and the house and, you know, well, everyone's got their challenges, but compared to her, all I could think of was what was going on that death looked like a better alternative. What on earth was going on? What was sustaining it? What was causing it? And um, by chance the next day I was, uh, I had voice work because I work in studios, you know, doing recordings and stuff. And one of my um, closest friends was recording the next day. And she said to me, what's going on with you? You know, where's your focus? And I said, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's nothing. It's nothing. And she said, what is it? And I said, well, actually, I read this article about something called human trafficking. And it's, it's, it sounds weird to say something called human trafficking now mm. because it's in the last 15 years, things have shifted. But uh, as has the crime, by the way. Um, but she said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. I'm part of a nonprofit, and we're, we're also thinking of doing something about this. And it was serendipitous that we worked together that day. And then I guess I, I knew pretty quickly that I wasn't going to do nothing. That sounds, well, that's weird grammar. 
I had, uh, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I must go out and do something. But I mean, I think for all of us, there are different things that get us. And that got me. Has it stayed? Has it has it stayed? I was going to say, has it stayed with you ever since that feeling? Yes, yes. To the, uh, I became, um, I guided a nationwide uh, public awareness campaign through the support of um, a global, a world leading advertising agency. Just people I would meet at dinners and things, and I was yabba 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 talk 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 talk. I don't do that anymore. But I was, it's like, do you know about this? And people going, oh no goodness, oh gosh, you know, oh maybe you could come and. You know, maybe I, I remember being at some a diplomatic dinner and the, uh, the fellow who I was, you know, happened to be sitting opposite, I was going yabba, 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 you know, which is really inappropriate the way I was carrying on probably about this crime. And um, he said, maybe I could do something for you. And I said, what do you do? And he said, oh, I'm the managing director of, you know, this ad agency. Maybe we should run a nationwide campaign. It's like, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. And we did. And they won their advertising award. And we're talking one of the top agencies on the planet um, and they won their award. And meanwhile, television, uh, print ads, radio spots and everything. And would I run the same campaign and guide the same campaign again? No, but at least it's, it, it started, it happened. And then from that was what, 20 before the yeah, nearly 20, about 20 years ago. And then one thing and another, and then about, It never leaves you when you learn. I mean, I think you and I, Helen, you know, we've shared this. Um, It's, I don't, (laughs) I try not to quote white, you know, white abolitionists because there's amazing ones. But the phrase that does come to mind of William Wilberforce is, you may choose to look the other way, but you can no longer say you do not know. Yeah. Bingo. And... I can't look the other way. So one thing and another, it stayed with me. And then about 12 years ago, I said, right, I'm coming back to this. I've got to do something. What am I going to do? What do I like doing? Education, the arts, theater, filmmaking. Who do I know? Those kinds of people. Um, So I I did a bit of research with some very well-informed people from the business world and marketing world and communications world, really high level people. And with their guidance, it's like, well, what's your skill set? What do you love doing? Where where can you bring it? Obviously not legislation. Obviously I can't run a shelter uh, that requires incredible financing and skills, legal, psychiatric, uh, medical, so many skills. Um, But what do I know? Hmm, Okay, I've been around education for a good 25, 30 years at that time. Um, Let's do that. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is where the sustainability lies. It's, it's a tricky campaign because people say, well, how do you measure your success? First of all, I'm not sure what success is when you're measuring a preventional campaign. But it's and I've, con- I've consulted a lot of people with this, you know, because I'm a kind of trained researcher. But to do um, um to try and, it's a longitudinal campaign. We're in for the long game. It's not just a kind of three month public awareness short sort of Mm. thing. This is education. You cannot really measure the outcome of a campaign that is preventative for somebody, a a teenager might make a really smart choice and not do a certain thing in seven years time. We can't measure that. Yeah. Mm. So, but that's not gonna stop me. <laughs> Just keep going. Yeah. Judy, I'm I'm interested in in finding out a little bit more about what what happened back then in in that moment and and within you in 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 your mind after you read that um that article and and you are in shock and and impressed. What was going through your head? What happened? that you didn't look away because as you just quoted one option would have been well but it's not me and uh, I have a comforter and and a nice or let's say just call it privileged life Uh, but you didn't something moved you out of that inertia and and gave you momentum to start changing things and uh, well creating all these different things that you have been doing these past 30 years what was happening then 
I guess, you know, there are kind of random words come to feel, come to mind in a way. I mean, definitely the phrase which I used to myself had turned my world upside down. And I think I've, I've heard people talk about, use that phrase when they have had a profound experience, profound betrayal mm-hmm. and discovered terrible things in a relationship where they, that they just didn't see maybe. I didn't feel it, 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 it was, it, it moved me to, the, to my core. It didn't feel like a betrayal, but it, it was as like a, a seismic shift in my understanding of the world, maybe. Funnily enough, I had encountered human trafficking on an island in Korea 15 years earlier, and I didn't see it. I didn't know it. That was a bunch of medical students, female, who were dancing in a club. I had no idea of what was really going on. And that's actually still the case. Most people go, but oh, but this, but that, but that. And it's like, well, let's ask a few questions. But to go back to answer your question about what, why didn't I look away? I don't know. I don't, I don't uh, maybe I didn't identify thinking, oh my goodness, what would I be in that situation? I didn't think like that. Um, I, ca- I can't say that I have ever experienced anything on that scale that the young woman was experiencing. Maybe it was something just like human empathy. I don't know. Just good old fashioned empathy. I don't, I, you, you know, I really don't know. It's such a great question. I'm not doing a very good job of answering. <laughs> no, no, you're doing it. You're doing a very good job. I've, I've got a question on the back of that, Judy. And this is something that we talked about previously because this is—it's um, not light work that you're doing. Obviously, this is pretty dangerous stuff. You know, you're dealing with high-end, high-level criminals here, and we talked about before how you have to keep your anonymity a lot of the time. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that and how that has impacted your life in the past twenty years. Um, I guess uh, for being a, you know, for being a loudmouth, I'm actually quite a bit more private than I realize sometimes. <laughs> um, I don't know if this campaign is going to threaten anybody. Um, sometimes we have people who troll and follow and I've become a bit more thick skinned and I really appreciate having very good uh, high level people in um the digital world who can track things. Um, It might have actually, perhaps the fact that I don't want my profile or I don't want to be the figurehead of something particularly. Um, It's the, uh, of the No Project, partly because it's team, it's a team. Um, We are a tiny team officially on the board, we're four people. And yes, it's maybe it, it was, I founded it, I came up, you know, I kept driving and driving and driving, but really the No Project is the thousands and thousands of teachers and writers and educators and filmmakers. And I mean, just so many people over the last several years, 10 years more, who have said, oh, I can do that for you. Do you want this? I can write that, I can do that, like that slam poem. Perhaps in some ways, the fact that I don't want to be the, identifiable figurehead has perhaps even hindered the outreach which we could have. A lot of campaigns have an individual leading, you know, I'm not interested in that. And so I, what I was interested was establishing a reputation of the, the reputation of the, and the, and sticking to the values of the No Project. And so I would, and that's really, I think, I hope paid off and I've learned a lot on the way. For example, um, there's a certain kind of visual imagery that we won't touch. We won't accept artwork and film that is enfeebling of the victims, images such as duct tape and barcodes and chains over mouths. And, you know, it's like, no, 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 not going to touch that. But mm-hmm. the that enfeebling and re-victimization and almost exploitative sensation, cliched sensationalism is somewhere we will not go. Okay. And I'm so proud because we are now partners 
with the, the rights lab at Nottingham University, um, who are possibly one of the world's leading academic research hubs on slavery today. You know, in terms of how it did affect me, it was when I was writing the teaching material. That took about a year and a half of, and of course, as a kind of trained researcher in my, from my academic world, um, I would maybe do like, you know, a thousand hours research for, <laughs> and you get it, maybe a thousand, maybe, I don't know, a lot of research to fine tune down to a four hour, you know, unit teaching unit. <laughs> so I would over research and over read and that really did my head in. And, I, and, and, and I'm talking about watching films, hard, rough stuff and documentaries and narratives. And, and I'm not even, the the victim or the survivor of the crime i'm secondary mm. but um that i swear slavery and exploitation of a human body has got to be the most uh base intimate violation of a human mm. i completely mm. agree can I can I ask? Um, I mean, we, we we talked about um, you know obstacles that you might um, face as well. But one of the things that I'm thinking about is is your own sanity. You know, if if this is consuming you twenty four seven, is is keeping yourself sane so that you can continue with this uh, a, a primary thing? And how do you do that? And and you know, is is that a major obstacle, or are there other obstacles which are which are bigger? Um. I think, yes, because, uh, you know, as you and I have talked about, the world shows up differently the more you know about this. Mm. Is it the chocolate cookies and the, as you walk down the aisle in the supermarket? Is it the um, the nail polish? You know, nail polish has micro in it. Micro is the nice sparkly stuff. And I know where that comes from. And I, I mean, the backstory to the products that we buy and consume and walk across and you know, sit on and <laughs> everything. It's, um, if you wanted to use a, a, a very powerful vi visual image, there's, there's blood in our hands everywhere throughout our homes. But baby steps, baby steps. And I think the thing that keeps me going and keeps me sane is knowing that there are some amazing organizations that we are, it's not just me. I mean, uh, if uh, I'm thinking, for example, Goodweave. Goodweave is an incredible label which if, if, if a carpet or a cushion or a textile fabric has a good weave label on the back, it means no child labor was used in the weaving or the making of this product. Mm -hmm. And that knowing people like good weave and, and being, and uh, them allowing me to, I mean, uh, they, I sort of know them and, you know, but you know, them allowing me to incorporate who they are into the teaching material. That's amazing. And then when teachers use this material, and I'm talking business teachers, high-level CEOs in different countries, um, they are following this material. And I think it's knowing that there has been an impact. Now, whether people act on that moment or three years down the line, but at least they know. Well, it's because of you that I have a fair phone. You you introduced me to Fairphone, and I've I've got still got my Fairphone coming up to five years later. <laughs> you want to say say one sentence about what Fairphone is? <laughs> uh, yeah, so Fairphone, uh, yes, yeah, an Android phone that um, yeah that doesn't use gold and minerals mined from the Congo, um, and and uses what sustainable practices in the way that it's manufactured. Uh, it's a very sustainable and positive device and I don't know why it's not as popular you know everybody's got an iPhone or something else whatever else is Samsung or whatever and mm. no I have my Fairphone had no problems with it coming up to five wow years. that's great <laughs> I think you know this is quite interesting when people go oh but it's against slavery yes well why is it so expensive it's like what that's actually the true not an price argument. yeah yes and as you know, I mean, as you and I have talked about, there is um, Siddharth Kara, a, a leading expert in the field. And, he, you know, Siddharth has really walked the walk. And an article he wrote a couple of, well, 18 months ago, you know, the, the ringtone on our phone should be the cries of the kids in the mine. And uh, I mean, I, and also, look, you asked me what keeps me going, confidence. 
you know, if, if um, and, and I'll pick up the phone and talk to anyone. <laughs> and I, I try to go right to the top, the CEOs, the main professors, the, the leading filmmakers, um, and some people have contributed amazingly. But confidence, I don't know why confidence, fake confidence, I, you know, I do have come a theater background. <laughs> um, but it's, it's I guess, and there's also small moments, like I was working on the teaching material about domestic servitude and the, you know, the lesson plans called the truth behind closed doors. And it's like, I don't want to be disrespectful to any stories. I'm very cautious about ethical storytelling as, and, there, and I actually defer to ethicalstorytelling.org, I think it is, just as, you know, they're amazing. And then suddenly out of the blue, I got an email and this young woman, a student actually, still, in, still at high school, I think. She said, you probably don't, you don't know me, but you came to my high school, um, you know, X number of years ago and you talked to us about human trafficking. And I think I've identified a case of human trafficking, this lady that I know and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And lo and behold, this, teenage high school kid who had been to a seminar two years earlier had remembered the indicators of human trafficking and subsequently let's say Rosa Rosa can with informed consent gave an interview and her story now is going around the world within the an educational context it's her story that's being told in the first person by her I mean it was in different language translated into English for English language purposes. Um, and I think she said at the very end, I said, you know, what message would you like to send? She said, treat other people as you would like to be treated. I mean, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous that we are talking about slavery today, which is perhaps so important with environmental racism, medical racism. But slavery isn't only based on racial difference, it's minorities. And I think one thing, you know, if anyone was to come away with anything from this, apart from, please go and look at the site, um, it's that human trafficking doesn't, in, doesn't have to involve, despite the word traffic, doesn't necessarily involve travel or transportation. Mm -hmm. It could be happening downstairs, around the corner. Yeah. Domestic servitude, you can be trafficked in your own a child could be trafficked in their own bed mm. if there is the if there is money being generated or the intent for money yeah oh have i gone off topic <laughs> no <laughs> just preparing for no no worries everything you're saying is uh, enlightening because it, it it's helping me learn um, just just before this interview, I, I was reading through uh, the website, and now that that I'm seeing you, it's all um, very positive and and upbeat. And I was just thinking, oh, if you have to deal with this uh, topic, you can I can imagine you can get really sad because it's related with stories that are well, just yeah, really. I uh, can imagine nasty things that happen to to people, but that's not what you see. It you are just so positive, and also uh, reading through the website is like any you can make a difference, like encouraging people to start doing things, um, and also connected with um, with art, with with creating aesthetic art to uh, create awareness about this and I, I'm just in awe uh, is this something that helps you keep going that you have related this need to to create awareness with something that that you're good at like arts or or teaching I I think it's it's definitely motivating I mean I do love uh, I'm, not, I'm not an artist but when I see other people take over and contribute. And we never commission art or anything like that. Student, people just send us art or mm -hmm. that incredible spoken word poem, nothing personal. So what 
what keeps yeah i don't know i'm you know back to sesame street media arts visual communication spoken word communication that is i think that's what moves people in terms of ways of learning and spreading the word um maybe it always has but i mean we we only we know the 21st century uh and it's also knowing that people may take action right now or maybe down the road. For example, um, when young people learn about gold and the reality of, you know, the beautiful engagement ring and na 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 and the gold shade and everything, and then in a very non-sensationalist, well-informed way, I will talk about that in the multimedia seminar. And I actually say that, you know, if you ever do buy gold for someone that you love, it's, you know, because to buy gold for somebody is a big deal. And it's usually a symbol of love. Why would you choose to buy something with such suffering and pain in it when you can pay a little bit more and make a little bit more of an effort to do the right thing? But that's only one side. There's, there's so many aspects to human trafficking. And without legislation, there's not much. I, I, this is a nice, yeah, I like this story. I was thinking about it the other day when I was talking to law school students in the States. Um, I think it was um, about five or six years ago, I got an email randomly from somebody, I think, I'm not sure how he got my name, but saying, you know, I'm really interested in human trafficking. I'm working and uh, he was a student in the States. And I, but I'm originally from Athens or something. And, um, and, uh, and then I, I wrote back to him and I said, what on earth? This is a very specific area you're interested in. What motivated you to go into this area of law? And he wrote back, oh no, we Skyped. I think he said, oh, a lady came to my school and talked. And I just said, was your teacher, Mr. Da Da Da? Yes. Was that 2009? Yes. And the guy, he just, I said, that was me. <laughs> and this was before the No Project even existed, where this wonderful school gave me carte blanche to just like kind of pilot whatever I wanted. Yeah. So and that that must that must give you um, hope, you know, that you're these stories that are coming in that you've reached people and 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 I was quite excited when I got my Fairphone and you were the first person I told when I bought the Fairphone. Um, so so anybody else listening then to this podcast, Judy, what what advice would you give? What what can we do? I mean, you said once you see it, you can't unsee it. But how do you see it in the first place? How do we get this out? Well. I mean, the chances are most people listening uh, are clearly um, are on internet. <laughs> um, get smart, get, be well-informed. There's a lot of myths and misinformation and misunderstanding about human trafficking and slavery. It's, it's a crime that is driven by money. The horrific intimate violation of bodies is, is part of it, but it's, it's money. Uh, whether it be, yeah, okay, so it's money. So my my request would be to go to the No Project site as a starting point, um, go to the option called slavery and drop down. Slavery at sea, um, forced marriage, commercial sexual exploitation, uh, domestic servitude, um, slavery behind closed doors in different ways, and forced illegal activity. And if anybody is interested in education, and I'm not talking education of young ones, our material is for young adults and adults, um, go and read some of the narratives and the lesson plans. So the first thing is to be well informed. And then we're not interested in blame and guilt and shilt, you know, um, no, no, I'm not interested in guilt. Guilt is debilitating. You can't think straight if you're riddled with guilt, but just think, well, okay, baby steps. Um, baby steps. Okay, from now on, I will, I will make sure that all the coffee that I consume is ethically sourced as much as possible, mm -hmm. which sends a message to the manufacturers and the companies. Um, then, okay, maybe by the next six months, I will make sure in the house that this is happening, that that's happening, that that's happening. It doesn't have to be radical. It doesn't have to be a seismic change. Leave that up to people like me. <laughs> but... <laughs> I, you know, um, kids in high schools, and I'm talking 16 above, they're furious. It's like, why, why is this not in our school book? You know, I'm, we've learned about, and so we should, climate emergency. 
Um, I, I'm pretty good at physics. I'm going to be graduating there, or I know this and I know that. I'd never heard of this before. And I remember one young woman at a, at a very high level press conference, because, you know, the No Project gets invited. And of course, I send the youth and we train them up and how they speak. And they're often debating people and so on. But she actually said, she got really um, to, the, uh, to a secretary of education in one country. She said, why is this not in our school? Mm. Well, how come, this, where's, where's the campaign? With good reason. Partly because they're, they're the vulnerable ones. And also they are the agents of change for the next, you know, 60 years. They are the policy makers, the lawyers, the consumers, the they're going to be the corporate owners. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, this has been a, um, I don't want to say fascinating. Well, it has been a fascinating interview. I mean, it's, it's, we, we've, we've learned so much about this subject. It's, it's distressing as well, I think, is maybe the word, a more um, appropriate word that I'm looking for. Um, I'd like to ask you one final question, Judy. I don't know if you um, took a look at this final question about um, the name of our podcast is Audaciousness. And we know that what you're doing is audacious. We've discovered that for the past half hour. Um, what we want to ask, we, we talked about what keeps you, you know, kind of sane. Um, what gives you the, the solid grounding, the solidity to keep going, would you say? Is there something in your life that gives you that solid grounding to keep pursuing this, this horrendous but very admirable goal? I guess the way I live is, I don't know where it came from, but um, we've only got X number of breaths left on the planet, each one of us. So what are you going to do with that? I would like to think that if, all, if we all chose to contribute to the betterment of humanity, it will happen. You know, it's like, well, what? I, I always remember a, a, a line drawing cartoon where a couple of sort of, it, it looks like they're on a first date sort of thing. And one person says to the other, so what do you do? And the response is, oh, I'm a, you know, I don't know what it is. I'm a da, 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 da. No, 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 I don't mean that. I mean, what do you do for the planet? And it's not that I'm, I'm not interested in judging people who don't. And maybe that's not the right time. And maybe they've got to withdraw. And, you know, you've got to keep yourself healthy. But what are, you, what are we doing here otherwise? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. What are you going to do with the time remaining, the time left available to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're definitely making it count. Definitely. <laughs> what, a, what a topic. And I admire you. I do admire you, Judy, for, for everything that you do. And it, it, to me, it seems like, you know, it's kind of one of those uphill struggles. I guess it's like the tackling the climate crisis as well. It's, you know, it, it's just an, it's such a massive thing, you know, and, and a lot of people aren't interested or you know there's so much apathy going on out there as well and and it's you know how how do you keep going but I think you know what you said at the very end there about well what are you going to do with the remaining time you've got available it's it's just oh, with, the, just with, 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 with the, the time, time with the time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah just, that shows our age, no, my age. <laughs> but, but also I also I always remember this quote what's the difference between a human rolling down a hill and a rock rolling down down a hill and nothing, it's just that the human talks about it all the way. <laughs> and then talks about it for years afterwards as well. Yeah, so it's like, I, I can talk about how the struggle and it's such a difficult campaign and yada, 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 and you know, it's like, nah, I don't, I don't even give just it Just do it, yeah. I just yeah. do it. And I, I make lots of mistakes and I'm sure it's not as good, you know, if somebody had a degree in like how to run an anti-slavery campaign. I don't, I, there's no manual on that. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure... I try to do as make wise decisions, well-informed decisions, do my research first, look at things, reflect, you know, look at things too much. Mm. I'm always running behind deadlines. I never <laughs> always keep my word about what I was, you know, hoping to do myself. But um, yeah, you just do it. I don't want to sit on the sideline. I'll just jump in and do it. Yeah. That's you know, what makes I, a difference doing something exactly, and 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 you know, I I think sometimes that it's um you know whether you've got a PhD or whether you're you're the CEO of this company or whatever, how important you are is not as important as having the passion and having the drive as well. You know, something within you which is it's kind of this drive seems to be that it's out of your control. It was kind of placed in mm. you when you saw that when you read that article twenty years ago that mm. you just couldn't let it go. 
And, mm. you know, people, whether you've studied or not, people who have studied or people who have reached high positions in companies, if they haven't got that drive and that passion and, 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 and the, the real feeling that they need to do something, then, you know. Yeah. And how, how dare I not do something? Yeah. I know too many good people, too many talented people, you know, yourselves included, too many resources. How dare I? keep that to myself. Mm. You are just a perfect example of authentic leadership. And that doesn't need a title. You just do it. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's earned gonna... authority. <laughs> really? Yes. I don't know about that. Really? So. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It's true. It's true. You've taken the lead on this and, and you're very, very authentic in what you're doing. Yeah. Definitely. My gosh, I know. Thank you. <laughs> I better go and order a pizza on that. <laughs> oh, no, I have a margarita. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Judy, for taking the time to talk uh, to us about this. We, we've learned a lot. I hope our readers, uh, our listeners, sorry, um, do find it as interesting as you and that we get more people um, aware of this. We really need to get this, the, the word out about this. Thanks, Thank you so you much. Do. Thank you. It Thank has you. been inspiring. Oh, look, it, it's a privilege. And I, just, I, I hope it's useful in some way. Wow, well, that was an insightful interview, Maribel. What did you take away from, from that discussion with Judy? Yeah, well, I have to say that was, um, it, it was difficult to listen to her, even though the way she, uh, she told her story um, and, and her approach to, to dealing with the topic is, is very positive and full of hope. Um, I'll be honest with you, what I first, the first feeling I had while I was listening to her and again, listening to it again, was embarrassment, mm -hmm. deep, deep embarrassment, uh, because, because I didn't know, because I, I, I had literally no idea. I mean, of course, well, okay, literally, it's a little bit exaggerated. I, I didn't know the extent to which this is a pervasive problem in, in our world. Um, one uh, expression or one sentence that, uh, that she used when describing that, that first uh, newspaper article that she read was, uh, Judy said, it, it moved me to my core. And, um, and that's exactly how I felt. Um, it was impressive, everything that she has been doing, uh, what people deal with as um, modern slaves. Th that made me think of, uh, of traditional slavery uh, and that both you and I come from, let's say, like different sides of the metal culturally, where, where we were born by chance, uh, you on, uh, on the sides of the exploiter and uh, me on the side of, of the exploited. And, and growing up, we come across to, to many different cultural cues and, and things that we learn uh, in relation to to exploitation and slavery. And I was just wondering, uh, that, that's what I want to ask you. One, one thing that Judy said, and that was the thing that, that I just thought, oh, this is horrible. She said, slavery and exploitation of a human body is got to be the most base intimate violation of mm -hmm. a human. And that, that impressed me. It moved me because I can feel it. Mm -hmm. How, how, how is it for you? 
Yeah, to be honest, that's one of the quotations that I wrote down as well. I just thought mm. that was such a moving quote that she made. And I completely, I think I said in the interview that I completely agree with it. I mean, I, I think because I've been following Judy for over 10 years, so the feeling that you had, you only just met her this time when mm. we had the interview. So it was all new for you there. Yeah. And I had that feeling 10 years ago when I met Judy and I started mm. looking at the work that she did in the No Project and reading about all of these case studies, you know, and thinking this is just absolutely horrendous. Um, and over the years, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that it has had an impact on me. I'm, a, I'm aware of it now. It's, it's one of those things, something else that she said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can no longer say you do not know. Mm-hmm. And so now I just see or, or sense slavery or trafficking or exploitation in a lot of the world around us and in particular when she was giving advice later as to what people can do and talking about purchase decisions and that has that's affected me and and we talked about the fair phone for example I I got a fair phone and I told her (laughs) that I'd got it something I can give another example a few months ago I decided that I wanted to get hair extensions in my hair Mm-hmm. and I was in consultation with the salon that was going to be doing the hair extensions and they asked me whether I wanted real or synthetic hair and I said well I would prefer real hair but where does it come from and the response we were um, texting here the response was simply Russia and when I saw that when I read Russia this sinking feeling I had this sinking feeling in my stomach and I had this image of young Russian girls being kept in cages uh, you know and and Mm -hmm. and every so every few years their hair being chopped off and sold to rich westerners to have an extensions you know and this was the, the initial feeling that came through me when I read the word Russia And then I thought about it and I thought well perhaps it's not that perhaps these are you know just normal girls who just sell their hair and they're making money and my me buying this hair is Mm. making money for them you know and I kind of convinced myself I walked because I wanted to convince myself trying to rationalize exactly that that I was that I was benefiting some girl in Russia because she was giving her hair and selling it and so that I could have it it's not an ideal solution and I didn't pursue it further you know, I didn't say, oh, no, no, I, I'm, I want to know exactly where the hairs come from. And, and no, if I don't know, then I'd rather have synthetic hair. I just I just went with it. And so I've got some Russian girl's hair and, you know, connected to my own hair now. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that it's there all the time. So, you know, mm. this this word Russia popped up in my text. And that was my, my initial thought was, is human trafficking involved in this purchase and this exchange? Yeah, I I can totally understand that what what has happened with me after speaking with her is that it has made me become aware and more conscious of uh, what I buy. She said this horrific sentence, it's blood in your hands. And I just imagine that meant that just that image is like, oh, I don't want blood in my hands. I, I, mm. I don't want like little boys, you know, uh, in in the uh, in the fields uh, working uh, for uh, for for rich people just to get cocoa. So mm. um, I have decided to stop, like for example, stop. E- even though that's a different topic, but I don't buy at at certain huge retailers anymore. And I think of what of of what I buy. I also liked very much her approach of doing this with it, it just gave me hope and uh, her approach is with with a growth mindset that you know it, it doesn't have to be perfect. you don't have to change your life from one day to the next, but you can continue including, new different choices in the things that that you consume so that you know either you pay the real price of of or the real cost of production plus yeah the the margin that that the producers get and not this fake cheap price Mm -hmm. 
definitely yeah um yeah i mean something else that she that she said about the blood you, you quoted blood on a, on your hands the other thing was that our mobile phone ringtones should be the screams of the children in the mines that is a yeah. really you know prominent kind of thing the connection you know then you get the connection there yeah but what she was saying about the steps you can take you know when you buy your cocoa or coffee or or whatever um you make sure that it's been ethically sourced um the other thing is you know your mobile devices your electronic devices clothes is another one um Mm. and food as well because there's so much forced labor um and slavery involved in international food production as well whether that be on you know the the plantations which you mentioned um fishing vessels which are out at sea for months and months and people just disappear from these vessels and then on you know the processing plants and and manufacturing plants and so on so Mm. the the food that we get you know so so baby steps she said baby steps step by step I think we can make a difference so I, I thought it was very good that she did give us some tips as to what we as, as fellow humans can do to help alleviate it. Um, but also I think to, to talk to other people about it as well. I mean, you know, we're doing this podcast, we're getting the message out there, but if anybody's listening to this podcast and wants also to think about what they can do, then, you know, refer people to the No Project and tell people about it. Um, I think that's a, a key thing that we can do as individuals as well. Absolutely. You can definitely ask yourself the question that that Judy asked herself. What are you going to do with the rest X amount of breaths that you've got? Mm -hmm. You can do something positive. Definitely. One step at a time. Yeah. And it does seem a very daunting task because, you know, us individuals at the end of the kind of the the consumption chain making these small changes can only go so far when the whole thing is controlled by rich and powerful people who have vested interests Mm. in keeping this whole business going you know it's a it's big business it's like it's like running an international drug cartel uh, running human trafficking rings or child trafficking rings it just seems so, so daunting. But as individuals, we need to have some hope. Everyone can can do something. And every little thing that each one of us does brings us one step further to eliminating that. Because it's just not right. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of our podcast audaciousness we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did a huge thanks to judy for sharing with us the audacious work that she's doing in the area of fighting human trafficking if you enjoyed this episode please give it a like and share it with uh, people that you think are going to benefit from it Please pass it on to them, friends, family. And if you know of any other audacious people, including yourself, please let us know. Get in touch. We'd love to speak with you. We'll be back in two weeks with another audacious person and another audacious episode. See you then. Bye. Bye.